My name is Sarah, and I'm a loyal listener of the When Dating Hurts podcast. Every single episode, I learn something new, and I'm amazed time and time again by the strength of each survivor. The When Dating Hurts podcast has so much great advice. It really highlights several of the early warning signs so that you can get out before it's too late. Even if you're a domestic abuse survivor like myself, it's still a good idea to keep yourself educated about the red flags of an abusive person. I have gladly recommended the When Dating Hurts podcast to all of my girlfriends. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. We arrive at part two of Natalie's story. Her life is being reduced down to an almost prison-like existence. Let's see where this goes and how Natalie lifted herself out and became a survivor. The next few months would just get worse and worse. We were isolated in this small town, 40 minutes away from the you know bigger city. And he would eventually, we went to a bar to another, a neighboring small town, just really close. This girl came to me and she was like, I slept with your husband to me. And I was like, what? No. She was like, yeah, I know. Like, why would he do that to you with somebody like me? And she was just different than me, you know. Are we saying rough around the edges, maybe? <laughs> Rougher around the edges. Yeah. Like, you know, and, um, I was like, yeah, I, I think you have it wrong. And she was like, okay, well, I'm just, I just wanted you to know, cause it's true. And in his truck, like we had sex in his, in his truck. So of course I confronted him about it. He denied it over and over again. You know, you get the gut, you get the gut feeling. I knew he did. And so I eventually just flat out asked him again on the, in the car together. I'm like, I know, I know this is true. I know you did it. Like, just admit it to me. And he said, yes, yes, it's true. So, oh man, you know, you just feel like your whole life is just over at that point. Mm -hmm. That betrayal, even after everything, was, it really felt like the worst thing that ever happened. And it caused a lot of fights. We would go to the bar in this town, <laughs> quite a trend of always alcohol, but we would go to the bar and then she would be there. And at this time I was just, you know, I hated the world. I was so, I had so much rage and I would just like look at her and then she'd flick me off. We got home and he, I was so upset that he didn't 
defend me or do something at that time to be in my corner. So we got in a physical fight. I hit him, he hit me, and everything just went downhill after that. Went to I went to the same <laughs> the same bar where I found out about the the cheating and I was by myself. I I was starting to build this independent feeling. Like I was just like growing my strength. I knew I was going to leave. I knew that I was working my way up to being free. So I was by myself and he called and he was wasted. I mean, 4 p.m., completely annihilated. And he was saying, because he was at home and I wasn't there. He was expecting me to be home. He's like, oh, like, where are you? You better, you better watch out when you get home. You're really going to get it. You're going to get your ass kicked or I don't even know how he said it anymore but I was so I was just and I was scared obviously I was scared and just so over it I wanted witnesses at this point so there was people around people my age and I was like I'm like I'm sorry but can I put I'm just looking for some witnesses can can I put this on speaker so you can hear what my husband is saying to me. And yeah, he was just screaming, you're going to get it. You're, you know, you're going to beat the shit out of you. Or sorry, I sorry for my language. But um, the the guys around me were just like, tell him to come here. So I'm like, well, I'm just at this bar. Like, why don't you come, come over or whatever? Yeah. If you're going to kick my ass, why don't you come over here and do it? Yeah. So he did. He, he came, he drove, started letting the air out of my tires, I suppose to, control. So he's out in the parking lot doing that on the way in? Yep. He's out in the parking lot doing that. And the the guys witnessed the, what he was doing and they ran out there and, and jumped him. Oh, It was, you know, obviously not a good situation. I didn't want that necessarily to happen. It felt powerful as well, though. Like, uh, like I am worthy, like I'm worthy enough for obviously strangers mm-hmm. knew that I needed help. They jumped in for you. That's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I was reading a book called Why Does He Do That? It changed my life. It. Um, That's good to hear. I had to tuck it in a, an existing book or magazine. So when I read it, it, it was um, hidden. But it gave me courage and just it gave me clarity that all the patterns of the abuser was just so spot on but anyway he found the book oh how about that even with your efforts to hide it yep you know i did hear about it's by somebody named lundy bancroft yes yep that's what it is just a couple interviews back that book came up and i know that was so familiar i know i don't have it and i haven't read it and i probably should yeah but it's great yeah 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 good for you i've recommended it to many women that I've connected with over domestic violence. Good. So once when he found that book and I was able to be like, okay, well read this then, you know, does this sound familiar? And he looked at me and he said, yes, it does. Oh, I think he even said he was sorry. And I don't know. And I was like, you know what? It's too late. It's too late. The damage is done. And I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think he he could feel that I was going to be leaving. He he felt I know he felt like he was losing his control over me because it's true that he was. And so, you know, 
I ultimately, I, um, I was laying in bed one night. I already had taken my sleeping medicine, just over-the-counter sleeping pills. He comes in and he pointed a gun at me. Oh. Yep. He pointed a gun at me and and said that, you know, maybe I should just, I should just kill you. Then I should just, and then I'll kill myself. You know, he's waving it around like a psychotic, unstable person. Gee. I mean, I was just laying there in frozen fear. Like, is this really happening? Am I dreaming? And then he, he actually, the gun was cocked and loaded. And then he like tossed it on the bed and it like bounced. Could have gone off. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Right. So I, I got up and took, took my dog and drove into town with my, with my dog to my parents' house. And as I'm there, you know, all shook up, of course. Sure. The sheriff calls me and says that my husband is unstable in a field threatening to kill himself and he needs to be he needs to be monitored. I should come home to be with him. Great advice. Great dangerous advice. I was like, are you absolutely kidding me right now? No, I am not. I'm I left. He's dangerous, scary. Who are the police in this story here? Let me think. Hmm. Don't they do that for a living? You know, isn't yeah. that part of their thing is to stop crimes from happening and all yeah. of a sudden you're supposed to be pressed into action to know what to do and how to talk this yeah. guy down and make everything all wonderful again. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a, a big flaw in the system of protection. There's no protection until there's actual physical harm is what I was told. But anyway, so then he ended up showing up at my parents that night as I'm trying to sleep again, <laughs> shows up says that he's killing himself and it's going to be all my fault. And then he, then he went away. Tell us more about that scene. He didn't just come. When he was in the room? Sure. He comes in there, he's saying that he didn't just go poof and he's gone like a magic trick. Yeah. That must have been amazing. I mean, that time must have stopped for you. It did. Yeah, it did. I'll... I mean, you could feel your heart beating and see your shirt moving yeah. under those circumstances. Yeah. I mean, you just, you don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, this could be the last thing you do in your life. Yeah, I know. It It was. I mean, it was just absolutely terrifying. I mean, chilling, bone chilling. It just... You just are so defenseless at that point, laying in bed with him looming over me, you know, like talking in my ear, like, I'm, and his voice, like I had never heard his voice sound like that before. It was, it sounded, it sounded psychotic and it was. <laughs> and then I, I, that, after that, it, it's honestly kind of hazy and blurry. I feel like I kind of blocked it out, kind of repressed some of the, details after that. Another thing that just made it really dangerous is that I had a guy that I worked with had been really helping me and supporting me through this. He gave me a key to his apartment so I could I could hide if I had to because um, he didn't know where he lived. 
until he did, he eventually found out where he lived. And so then it got even more, even more dangerous. You want to go over and take care of that guy too, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Were you there when, when that was going down? When he found out where he lived? No, I, I heard about it. Maybe he's just going to do that on his own. Just, he's going to make a special trip over there and he's going to settle things with that guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To him, it was the cheating situation finally come to life as far as he was concerned. Yeah. Right. Right. So it was just, he would accuse me of, and it just happened to be that the the guy that did help me was the, was the core target throughout our marriage. Basically he was the core person that he accused me of cheating with, but I never did. Not until, I mean, I wouldn't even consider it cheating after everything that happened, but technically I suppose it was. But anyway, that's here, neither here nor there. But so one time my car broke down near my workplace because obviously I'm going to work. It's going to break down by my work. So I was accused of, <laughs> I was accused of cheating at that point. I would have, if there was literally a dent on the hood of my car and oh, well, what better explanation than you must have had sex on the roof of your car or the hood of your car. And then there was <laughs> there was a scratch on the leather of my car in the back seat. Oh, well, of course, like it's scratched because you had sex back there with somebody. Yeah, somebody's belt buckle or something must have done that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, just bizarre. Go back to the guy with the apartment. Yeah. Was there more to that relationship than just here's a key and you can come over? As an escape? It got, it, it got more. It got to be more because I was, it was really, really great. It felt so good to have somebody actually, I felt like he cared about me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he did. Like, I really, I know he did. I mean, he helped me get out of that in s- so many ways. So mm-hmm. I just have... I have a lot of gratitude in my heart for him that he put him, he knew what, he knew the risks. He knew what I was going through. He really knew he was putting himself at risk to help me. And um, mm-hmm. he lives across the country now, but yeah, I just very grateful. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have a refuge to go to back when he didn't, know where I could be. Mm -hmm. It was a really, really great thing for me. How much of this turbulence you were going through with Alan, how much of the turbulence do you think your parents knew about? Not much. They had a feeling, especially my mom. My mom had a feeling that things were bad. And I mean, she, but I sheltered it. I hid it. I hid it from, I hid it from everyone. I, my coworkers, even um, my coworkers, I, I tr- mostly kept it from, but my dad, he believes that everybody's good. He's a very trusting person. And he, even when I would tell him the truth in the story shortly after the fact, he, he really didn't believe me, which was hard to get over at the time. Do you think it was like he just didn't think that that guy who he had met and been around could be that bad? Is that it? I think so. Yeah, and I think it just... Because he put on such a good show, I'm sure, around your parents, right? He probably was very... Yeah. Back to the charming, respectful guy that he could mask himself as. Yeah, but always really cold to them. They could tell that, you know, in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. They They could tell that he was kind of 
being fake to them. I wasn't even allowed to go see them on during the holidays, the last the last Christmas. I didn't get to see my parents until like two weeks later to celebrate Christmas. What'd you do instead with this guy? I think we just, we did nothing. We just stayed home. And yet they weren't that far away, your parents, were they? Yeah, only 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So eventually you must divorce this guy. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what uh, the freedom. Okay, so after I had gone to my parents that night with the gun, I think that would have been in, gosh, I feel like that would have been in April or May. And then I ended up slowly getting everything together. I moved out. I moved out the summer of 2014, again, at the house where I grew up in. Everything comes full circle. So I'm I'm so grateful that I had a place to go and bring my dog. I know a lot of domestic violence victims don't have that option. So it's a very important thing to have. But I will never forget the feeling of just the thrill of the freedom. That was nine years ago now, but I always will hold on to that power. That was some, that was some life-changing thing. And also one of the things that helped me was somebody I worked with backing up a little bit. My ex ended up getting a hold of my phone and posting on social media about, you know, posing as, as me and saying like, I'm such a whore. Like I sleeping around or I don't even know. I, I don't know exactly, you know, what it said anymore, but I, somebody, somebody contacted me right away in the morning and they're like, um, you need to check your social. Obviously you've been, you've been hacked or whatever. And so then when I get to work that, that morning, there's a fortune cookie message on my keyboard and it says action is worry's worst enemy. And I got I like froze because I thought it was literally I, I of course my brain just goes to it's him he's he's here you know but then after letting it process I'm like wow somebody here probably saw or they just know maybe the timing was just perfect just coincidentally but that fortune cookie message I still have it's right here in my little cabinet that changed my life. So I try to, anytime I get an opportunity to say it publicly to whoever put action is worry's worst enemy on my keyboard. Thank you. (laughs) That's great. Maybe we'll find that person and there'll be some kind of bounty involved. Yeah. That's a wonderful line. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was scary leaving, you know, leaving was scary and the divorce took a while. I ended up needing a lawyer because he had a, his truck that he cheated on me in was in both of our names. And I had to get a lawyer to get my name off of it because we didn't do that in the divorce, which it was a mistake. Do not trust that person to make on-time payments because he affected my credit. So ultimately I got a lawyer to help take my name off of that. But then he, when he got served the papers for for that, I don't think he understood that, hey, Natalie just wants her name off of my truck. He actually came to my work at my different workplace at this time. 
I don't know what he was going to do. I think he was probably going to vandalize my car or something. And I just happened to see him out there and he flicked me off. And of course my heart dropped seeing him. Yeah. He really put you through the ringer for a long, long time, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, and another one of my not favorite, definitely not favorite, but most absurd things was that he threatened to kill me because I made, I made the wrong dinner. I made the wrong dinner. Like I should just, I should just effing kill you. I guess he had his heart set on something else that evening. And yeah, uh, it was. Um, he wanted barbecued pulled pork, but I made French dip. What a, what a terrible. What a miscue on your part. That is so bad. That is so bad. So the last time you saw him, when was that? That would have been in the parking lot. Okay. At, at work. And at that point, then he's out of the picture. Have you ever heard from him since? Has he tried to darken your doorway? I have not. Not that I know of. I sure hope not. But I'm. I hope that he's moved on. I hear that he's got a family now, wife and kids. So I'm hoping that he's just. I just want happiness in the world. I don't want. I don't wish unhappiness on anybody. Hopefully, he's at peace. And I know as time goes on, I feel it doesn't even feel real anymore, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you can experience the same emotions, but at the same time, it's like, was it a dream? Anxiety dream, you know, nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, I think there will always be echoes, but they they become a little harder to hear after a while. So that's good. Mm But then, you know, things trigger it. Certain song comes on the radio or, yeah. you know, some truck like his goes by or something. It's like, whoa, okay, that got a little yeah, too real. That sure. got too real. So eventually yeah. you met someone else, right? I did. I did. And this is a, this is the best part of the story. So after, after I found out he had cheated on me and we had to go get him to be fitted in a, wedding a friend's wedding so we went to the suit shop and I was just this is the worst day ever I don't want to be thinking about somebody else's wedding when mine is falling apart and my life is falling apart now is that you saying that or is that him this is me saying that in my head okay so you're looking at it like these people probably are going to have it pretty good and the comparison it falls short over where you are it's a true mess right right yeah Yeah. And this is a big reminder of the big difference, the contrast. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And the guy that was waiting on us at the suit shop, I just remember him instantly. I just was like, wow, he seems like an amazing guy. And, you know, I'm just, I deserve something. I deserve to be treated better. I wish I was with somebody like this guy. I developed a little crush on him, you know, like from afar, this suit shop was in a mall. So I would just walk by casually, see if I could catch a glimpse of this guy. Did you? I saw him in the window a couple times. Yeah, those were good. Those were fun times. (laughs) Did you want to steer in there, at least buy a pair of socks from him and get his opinion on sock length or something? No kidding. I was too shy. I would have instantly turned red. Um, (laughs) but then fast forward a few months after I had separated, moved out, I went to the lake with my friend and that was even another last effort of trying to control me. Even though I didn't live with him anymore, he told me that I could not go to the lake with my friend. 
but I did it. Again, I reached that threshold. I was done. I was so checked out. And while I'm out with her, we're at this pizza place by the lake. And who do I see but the guy from the suit shop? No way. Yep. That's really pretty cool. It's kind of meant to be. I, know, I mean, don't you think it, the planets are aligning or some kind of thing? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Just, I mean, the universe. Who's he with? Is he just by himself? He was with a group of friends. They were on a, on a, like a wedding party bus. Like the timing of, of us seeing, of me seeing him, it really was meant to be. He is, he's the most amazing everything that I could have dreamed of. I just, everything happens for a reason, I feel. And even if it doesn't seem like that at the time, but if I hadn't gone through all of that with my ex, I wouldn't have met my amazing husband that literally makes my dreams come true every single day. So. Oh, and that, that's beautiful. I Take me back to the lake though for a minute. Okay. So does he, I mean, what do we have here? Your eyes meet kind of a thing? Like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, no, I I went, I, I left the people that I was talking with. I'm like, sorry, excuse me. And then, Sorry, I'm not shy right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just got over being shy because, uh, you know, this it's is- amazing th- when, It's go time. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tapped him on his shoulder and I was like, hey, you work at that soup shop. He turns around and looks at me, and he's got a deep drawl, deep voice. He's like, why, yes, I do. <laughs> and, and the, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, it's... So how much time passed from the lake to the ring, or, or the wedding, in that case? We started dating. The lake to our dating happened in a couple months. Well, that's pretty slow. That's slow couple few well I still had a lot of baggage you know and I was very I was very upfront and, and transparent the night we met I told my now husband I told him what I was going through and I was like you know you really shouldn't call me until like this day or this time because my ex might be around because I was still trying to you know there was it was a process and he was like okay I pinky promise I I promise that I won't contact you until this day. The very next day he called me. He was like, I'm sorry to break my pinky promise, but I just really wanted to talk to you right away or, you know. That's very nice. I guess I should say we did go on some dates. We went on dates. We went to dinners and and stuff. And I had never been taken to a fancy restaurant before. So he took me to fancy restaurants and we made it Facebook official though. Several months later, a few months later, yeah. He didn't throw up on you, did he? No, <laughs> completely opposite. Part of your ritual, your dating ritual. Completely opposite. He had a couple beers during our first date, and he took a cab home after two beers, and it was so refreshing. That was completely opposite. So, Natalie, okay, so you know we're married now, we're happy, and others can't see you, but I can see you while we're doing this interview, and. Your smile is gigantic and it lights up the screen. So I'm very happy about that. Having heard about your um, a couple different dating experience and the marital nightmare that you've managed to live through and pull yourself through. So as we kind of draw to a close, I do want to ask you, what do you have going on 
besides going to work, you do have a nonprofit. You've always been into pets of all kinds. And tell us about what you're doing. So I have a nonprofit I founded. The website is petikit.org. So it's P-E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E dot org. P-E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E dot org. And what, what is that all about? My mission is to empower pet parents to advocate for their pet's emotional well-being. My key focus is leash etiquette and why it matters. My dog that I had mentioned earlier that would shield me from my abuser, he was my inspiration in this because we were attacked so many times by off-leash dogs that he just developed a distrust of other dogs. He was big, 90 pounds, a lab, Labrador. So people just assume, oh, your dog's friendly. Like, you know, and if their dog is friendly and off leash, then nothing can go wrong. Well, no, that's not true. It would go from zero to 100 because he didn't care if there was other dogs around. But as soon as his bubble was invaded, he would fight. He would, no warning, just to fight. And that is absolutely terrifying. Dog fights. Oh my gosh. I hope I never have to see another one. I realized, gosh, there is no awareness on this. There is nothing available for pet parents like me that have a dog that doesn't want to meet other dogs. So that's what inspired my message of leash etiquette and why it matters. I make yard signs that I have in my yard. My neighbors have one. That says, not all dogs like to say hello. Thank you for leashing your dog. I give out flyers. There's t-shirts. Just all in the mission to raise awareness on this. Doesn't matter if your dog is friendly. All dogs should be on a leash if they're not in your control. And then on top of that, I also am a pet loss grief support specialist. We've had cats the whole time we've been married and even before that. And, you know, they become... And I mean this sincerely, they are our little children. And I gave a cat, a Siamese cat named Rockwell to my wife when we got married. Rockwell was amazing. He's so loving, so wonderful. He got sick 10 years into having him and had to be put down. He was actually put down on our 10th anniversary. You can imagine what a dark day that was. I mean, that really was like taking your child in to see a vet and then having him collapse and then take him home to bury him. Really, really hard. Uh, I was in a bad spot for a long while after that. And so was my wife. In the meantime, we had my daughter. You know, my daughter was around and and was, I I kind of, I guess somewhere in my heart equated them. So, so pet grief, that's one of your things too, huh? Yeah. Yep. I'm really passionate about it because I agree. Pets are family and they're the equivalent to your child. I don't have human children. I have fur children and even a, a, a scaly lizard child. (laughs) And so I also raise awareness or I like to promote why pet bereavement policies are important and they should be in every single workplace. I just did a talk for Disrupt HR in my local community on that topic. Got a great response from my area professionals in the, you know, human resource field. And I'm hoping that someday that'll be more and more of an accepted thing because disenfranchised grief is a big deal. It's um, when you feel like you can't, when it's not socially acceptable. 
one of the other things that I ran into reading an article about you, and I won't be able to do this justice, but I wanted you to explain it to us, but only a thousand people in the world have something called Certified Veterinary Practice Manager, which is CVPM, have that credential. And you have something which is the Society of Human Resource Management Certified Professional Certification. Yep, that's right. I wonder if so few people have it because it's so difficult to say. That could be. With all my <laughs> credentials, my name has like tripled in size. It has, I know. You got a lot of initials. <laughs> you know, the whole pedicate thing I think is brilliant. I do. And I mean, we don't take our cats out of the house, but I do see people walking their dogs and I do see dogs mingling and some people look like they're pretty upset by it. You know, not everybody's really wants to have their dog sniffed out yeah. and jumped on and barked at. So that's really a Absolutely. great thing. It's also people too. I mean, some people, well, like you, you're allergic or some people are afraid they've been, maybe they've been bitten before. Maybe they're just not used to dogs. You know, whatever the reason might be, people have the right to not be approached by random dogs as well. I feel like it's a form of bullying if you, if somebody is made aware, please keep your dog on a leash and then that person refuses to do so. I feel like that is bullying. It is. I mean, it's another version of control and, you know, this is something I want to do. And if you don't like it, well, it's going to happen anyway. Yep, exactly. Yep. Any advice you'd like to put out there in the world as we draw to a close? I would say, listen to your gut. I mean. Once you've made up your mind, the point of no return, listen to that. Don't waste precious time. Life is too short to be unhappy. You will find happiness. And it's hard. It, it is hard. I mean, there was some really scary times when I left. But also the feeling of freedom is something that you can have that. You can have that in your life if you're, if you're going through something. Reach out to your resources. I think that's really good advice. And and really, like so many people who are survivors, you're talking about people get stuck in that world and they're stuck in this weird jail cell and as if someone else threw away the key. And it's like, okay, look, it's not going to be easy to get out, but you can get out and you have to work at it. I would definitely recommend reaching out to those domestic violence support shelters if you if you need to. I have friends that have and they have gotten out with that support. Because, you know, they're highly practiced in that area and they've seen hundreds of cases and maybe some of them have actually been through it themselves or a family member. Most people who get into that field have a reason why they got in. Mm -hmm. The great thing about going to a domestic violence agency or calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 800-799-SAFE, you'll get all this advice and you'll learn a lot of things you either learn it from them over a phone call or by seeing them, or you're going to learn it the hard way. And escaping somebody like the guy you've been talking about, Alan, is not easy. It's not easy at all. It takes a while to get stuck with that person. It's going to take a while to get free from that person. They're so used to being in control. They're not going to make it easy just for you to go, well, you know, I just don't think I want to do this anymore. So you don't mind. I'll get my suitcase. I'll load it up and I'll just get out of here. No. No, you're stuck. You've been stuck for a long, long time and getting out, you need help. You need professional help. Natalie, thank you for joining us and for telling us your story. And, and, I, and we can all relate to, uh, I'm sure, a whole bunch of it. And I'm certain that many who are listening will remember what you've said and use it to examine their lives. You know, they may have things that they've had happen 
and they hear your story and say, wow, I had that happen. I didn't think, I didn't think of it that way. But looking at it now, I do think I was abused. Just thought the guy was difficult or whatever that was. And you've kind of walked us through a number of the of the warning signs along the way, even the rocky start you got with the too much to drink and things. But I mean, some of the other ones too, you know, there's so many opportunities if you wanted to really focus on them and pay attention at that time. And, and if you really got what was going on, which, you know, even at the ripe old age of 19 and 20, our coping skills aren't there. We haven't been around a lot. Sometimes we don't think we have the power to just say, you know what? I don't think so. I'm gone. But you stayed with it. And I think the things you've said are things that people need to hear. You and I and so many others want to stop dating and domestic violence. What they need is the education to know what this is, because education leads to empowerment. It becomes nearly impossible to get out later on. It is possible, but it gets tougher. As more days go by, more control is exerted. Financial control all of a sudden gets away. Uh, you know, you're paying for things you didn't do in, in all kinds of ways, either, you know, literally or figuratively. Like you said, your credit's starting to get wrecked with this guy. There are all kinds of things. There's all these sinkholes that keep developing. I just want to thank you for sharing your story. I think that it's so helpful to hear somebody like you. The best part is that you not only got out of that situation, but had this beautiful dream come true with this guy that you're with now. Yep, absolutely. 100%. Hey, look, thank you so much. This was great. I really appreciate you giving us your time today. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate it. Good luck, everyone. Thank you. This concludes our conversation with Natalie. She's not only ascended from the depths of being a victim, but also found new purposes and a life that's controlled by herself blossoming in wonderful ways. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank mm-hmm. you.